All right, welcome back. We got Adrian. <laughs> hey, he's back. Good to be back. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was weird not doing it last week. Yeah. Um, but I immediately listened to to what you did to the yeah. podcast, and it was so good. Oh, I loved right. it because it was it was all stuff that I needed to hear. Like, okay, maybe I need to take a minute and listen. And just let this sink in. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I didn't say um, on last episode was, you know, we don't need. I, I know we we I made a, a a plan to to post every week, but I think one of the things that I've been realizing is that it doesn't always actually need to be every week. And the reason for that is. There are things that we go through in our lives that we need to process. And so sometimes that that requires just unplugging and not forcing something to happen. And we've done that a couple of times where we're like, okay, we're not feeling it today. Or I've been going through something and I had to sit there and walk through it with you. And and you have, you know, helping me kind of get through the, the process of my thoughts. And um, I think it's really important important for us to keep that as a sacredness of relationship. Yeah. That's when we, when we talk about this and when, when you talked about starting it and we started having discussions about um, recording these discussions, one of the things we talked about is what we're recording for the podcast should be like from the overflow of the natural conversations that are going on already. Yeah. They shouldn't be like fabricated. Oh, we got to get, a, we got to find something to talk about and do this podcast. No, we're, the podcast is like the tip of the iceberg. We're already having these long conversations. And this is just a glimpse into those conversations yeah. that we want to share with others. Um, but I think it was, was it two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, where you came over? We were going to record the podcast and we just talked. Yeah. And we never hit record. Nope. nope. And that was okay. Yeah. Because that's the whole, not the whole, but one of the, the things that I know you want to share and I want to share with, with folks that listen is the importance of relationship, mm-hmm. the importance of walking with someone else, walking with others. Um, that's the emphasis. The emphasis isn't to um, to create a podcast or to build a following or to influence. Or, it's none of that. It's like, hey, you know what? We've experienced blessing in the way that God has brought us together to walk together through things. And we want to share that blessing with others. We want to share with others, hey, look, there's blessing in walking together with someone. And... That one week, we didn't record because we were busy walking. Yeah. I was going through some stuff that I needed to process. There's a, you know, I never want to make an unhealthy behavior a priority in my life where I'm forcing things to, to happen. And that's what we did. Those were some really unhealthy behaviors that I had carried for years that I needed to process through. Which is part of the discussion we had today. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yes. And 
even today's recording is going to be the tip of the iceberg because yeah. there's already a whole iceberg of oh goodness of discussion that we've had. Yeah. I don't know what time you came over, but I know it was a few hours ago and we just got around to hitting record. Yes. Cuz I think you looked at me and I looked at you it's like are we actually going to record something today? <laughs> Like, okay, well, I guess, I guess we'll record something. Yeah, well, it's more like just being thoughtful for Paula more than anything. <laughs> I want to make sure that she doesn't hate this. <laughs> so thank you, Paula, if you're listening, oh. for letting us do this. So good. Well, well I did have a, a theme that I wanted to talk about today because it's something that I'm, I think, you know, it started with last week's uh, episode and i think th- through the through the process of dealing with the ideas that i that i shared last week <clears throat> i've had people reach out and you know kind of try to pour into my life and there's been a thought process of well what when it comes to discerning who speaks into your, into your life Biblically, biblically and personally, what is the, I guess, the best way to discern if the people that are speaking into your life that maybe you haven't had much contact with or maybe they have a word for you for the day that, you know, maybe God put on their heart, not looking at that from a skeptical position because I've had to recently do that and I'm having to learn how to, how to unpack that in my life. Because I don't want to miss out on the blessing of what God is trying to tell me in that moment. So is the thought, how do you, or is the question, how do you discern um, what voices you allow to speak into you? Yeah. Cause, and let me build some context, I guess, to help. Someone had sent a text message to to somebody I know, and was, I guess, trying to pour into me through a dream that they had. And love this person. Um, but it's not somebody that I would automatically, like, turn and say, hey, give me some biblical principle in this moment um, to help me walk in, in faith in what I'm going through. And I, and I think a lot of times too, you know, I, uh, I guess going back to some of the, like we're always looking as a, in our human condition for like the, the glorious splendor of God speaking to us. We, we want that fire in a bush moment. And uh, when, it, when it happens in the ordinary through people that we don't have, have interaction with every single day, um, how do you discern that? If it's really from God or it's, you know, or how do you accept it, too? It seems like a tough question. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Because right. it's like a very important question, and it's a question that I think a lot of us ask. Yeah. So I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't know that this is the answer, but it's an answer. Yeah. Um, a couple of things come to mind. I think being able to discern um, the voices that are, speak- are speaking into our lives or trying to speak into our lives I think the ability to discern that is very closely related to our relationship with God. How is my relationship with him 
Am I talking with him? Am I listening for him? Am I in his word? Because I don't, I don't believe God will ever speak anything into us directly or through someone else that is inconsistent with his will or his word. So good. So am I, is, is this relationship between me and him, mm-hmm. I, is that solid? Because that I think will inform and help me discern the other voices. My sheep know my voice. So I think it, Part of it is, for me anyway, is leaning into him, talking with him and listening for him. I begin to hear his voice. So then when I hear other voices speaking into my life, I start to realize, I start to become aware of whether those voices sound like his or not. And it's like, oh, this person's telling me something. That doesn't sound like something God would speak into me. Yeah. That person saying something, that sounds like something God's been trying to speak into me and I've been refusing to hear. That's so good because it takes the position off of the person and requires you to put your eyes on Jesus. That's good. And there's a first one for today. Yeah. And And that's the podcast. (laughs) And this is why I need Jesus every single moment of every day. So desperately. I need to be close to him. I need to know his voice because his voice is the measure by which I will measure and discern every other voice that tries to speak into my life. You know, this is a completely, completely different topic, but I had a conversation with my sister um, this weekend and um, we were talking about hearing God's voice and, uh, and I'm going to share and I'm, I'm, I'm going to share something that I think she's, she would not be afraid to share just in general. But one of her struggles was feeling, and we all go through this. This is a natural, uh, I think, progression as believers. Having the excitement and the drive to open up scripture. She asked me, she's like, how do you do that every day? Like, how do you, how do you open up scripture and like are happy to open up scripture? And, um, and, what we got down to, and I think this relates completely to what you just said. I asked her the same question that I asked my buddy. And we talked about this on a few podcasts ago or a few episodes of how do you know God's voice and, or how do you know anybody's voice? Right? Like, and it's when you spend time with somebody long enough that you start to know their patterns of the way they sound, et cetera. And the way that we do that with God is by reading the word. And I think you've called it out before where he won't speak, you know, I'm going to butcher this. He won't speak outside of the word, right? He won't speak in a way that's inconsistent with his word. There you go. This just made me think of a conversation we had before we started recording. Remember that thing I was saying about how sometimes we find some people boring and other people like exciting and interesting. Yeah. And remember I sh- I, what I shared was, I feel if, if we're interested, they will be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now you're asking about the word and that struggle getting into the word. 
I kind of feel like the same thing applies. Mm. Oof, dude. If you're interested in the word, it will be interesting. Bro, I'm about to throw this microphone at the wall right now. <laughs> if if you're not interested in the word, then it's not going to be interested in it's not going to be interesting to you yeah. and you're you're going to keep working at it. Yeah. And I think it's it has to do with the posture of our heart. Like you can try to be interested in someone and, and ask all the questions, but there's no the posture of your heart is not one of I'm genuinely interested in them. Oof. And that's that's okay to recognize that, but I don't think it's okay to stay there. Ooh, like, so good. you know, I think the heart of God is to love people. And if, if you're in a position, if I'm in a position of, you know, God, I just don't really like people. Hmm. God, can you, can you do something in my heart? Because I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling, I don't have a, I'm just not interested in it. People are boring or they're frustrating or they're aggravating to me and I'm just not interested. And God's like, well, you know, I love them, right? And you're near me and you want to be like me. And if you're near me, you're going to become more like me. So if you're near me, well, your love for them should grow because you're becoming more like me. So if we're not, if we're not growing more interested and more caring and loving for the people in front of us, then I think it's perfectly valid to go to God and say, Lord, what's, can you, can you work on my heart and give me your heart? I was thinking about that this week. We There's a song that, that I've heard recently. Um, I just want to move your heart. That's all I want to do. Yeah. Something occurred to me. I don't want to move his heart. You want to move ours? I want to I, know his heart. Oh, okay. He went there. Yeah. I, I want to know his heart. Because it's it's my heart that needs to change. So good. Not his my heart's the one that, that's jacked up. My heart's the one that's in need of repair, restoration, and healing, not the heart of God. So I just want to know your heart. Yeah. And once I come to know your heart, hopefully, what should happen is my heart becomes more like his, and then my interests become more like his, yeah. and my eyes become more like his, and my compassion becomes more like and my thoughts become more like his. So all of a sudden, this person that was standing in front of me last week and annoying the crap out of me suddenly became very interesting to me. And I think the same thing applies for the word. If I'm like, Lord, I, I feel you drawing me close to you. I love you. Um, but I'm just not interested in your word. I think that's a valid prayer. I think it's... Perfectly valid to take that to God and say, Lord, I, I feel you're drawing me close to you, but I, but I also recognize that the primary way for me to get to know you is through your word. Yeah. So help me work, up, work out this messed up situation where I feel drawn to you, but I don't feel drawn to your word. Yeah. Because something's wrong there. And that's okay so to tell him that, but even have that conversation, Lord, give me a hunger. Because just like with people... If you're interested in them, they will be interesting. If you're interested in the word, it will be interesting to you. I, I think one thing that I will say is, I think there's a lot of, there's a, a lot of condemnation that we put on ourselves when we don't feel like we're interested in God. And I think that's one of the things that we have to work through in order for us to feel like we can be interested 
What's that scripture? In all things, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. In all things. So even in that disinterest, like, Lord, I feel some part of me is being drawn to you, but I'm not really interested. Well, go a little meta on it and just take that to God and say, okay, God, this is where I am. Because at that point, you're talking to him. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You're, you're talking. <laughs> yeah. Even though instead of just feeling condemnation over how you're feeling, and instead of just listening to that condemnation and allowing that condemnation to create space and distance between you and God, well, what if we're just honest with him and we just have that conversation and we just say, God, here's, here's what I'm feeling. I don't understand this. And I don't feel this. I don't think it's right for me to feel this. And I'm feeling guilt and shame. God, can you walk with me through this? Mm-hmm. Walk with me through these, okay. through these things that, that I'm experiencing right now. But in, in all things, in every situation, I'm not interested, Lord, instead of just making a statement of what you're feeling or experiencing right now, put Lord, comma, before whatever you were going to say. Yeah. It's like, Lord, comma, yeah. I'm feeling this. Yeah. Lord, like, offer all those things to him. So now what you've done is you've allowed yourself to pull him into the conversation. So you're not trying to figure it out yourself. When I said this on the last episode, this is why I love Jesus, because he can take our questions, our doubt. And he's not afraid of that. I think it's a spark that happens in that moment where he starts turning our position of thinking because we start talking to him. We start putting ourselves in the position of seeking him rather than on the problem of not feeling it. Because the minute we're in our feelings, screw it. Easy to walk away from everything. Yeah, that we don't have to be in denial. I don't think it's healthy to be in denial of the problems. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's healthy to hyper-focus on the problems. But in every one of those problems, take every one of them to him in a conversation. Every, everyone. Yeah. Whatever it is. Every. Um, I don't know if I shared this before, but... I'm reading that book again, that Eugene Peterson book on living well. And at the beginning of the book, he, um, he's quoting somebody who said that, uh, the entirety of the universe is contested, is contested ground. There is no neutral territory in the universe. It's all contested. And when I heard that, I'm like, that is a human heart. That is my life. Every part, every corner, nook and cranny, every dark corner, every hidden desire, fear, anxiety, ambition, dream, hope, every part of my life is contested ground. Every part of my life is something that the enemy wants to invade and take over. Every part of my life is something that God wants to love me in. And I need to surrender every part to him. Every part. Because nothing's going to be neutral. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I walk with God in how I, how I interact with my friends at church. I walk with God or I seek God's counsel and pray about how I do with my family. Work, oh, that's different. 
different set of rules there. Like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, God, I've got, I got it taken care of at work yeah. or with distant family or with friends or with other people we hang out with. Like every, every chamber of our heart, every part of our heart is a part that God wants to be a part of. But it feels like we have a very, um, we have the ability to compartmentalize our hearts and our lives and surrender certain parts of our lives to him and hold back others. And it's like, you can have that territory, but you can't have this territory. You can have me serving in ministry. Um, but Lord, I, I, I'll figure, I'll do this stuff on my own at work. Um, you can have me at work and I'm going to serve with integrity. I'm going to do the Colossians 3.23 thing, do all things as until, hey, maybe at work you're, you're there. But when it comes to how I deal with my family, I don't surrender that to them. And I think every, every part of our lives, every part of our hearts is contested. But again, I go back to that scripture. Um, acknowledge him in all thy ways and he will direct your paths. In all things, in all things, acknowledge him. All things, no matter how big or small, like, Lord, I invite you to every part of my life, into every one of my friendships, into every one of my relationships, into every um, ministry that I serve in, into every employer that I work for, into every acquaintance. Lord, I pray that you guide my heart in every one of those situations. Um. And I think then we start becoming more like him when we do that. Recently, I think I've been seeing a lot more people that are are dealing with the the feeling that they have to have it all together in order for them to show up and have relationship with God. Well, then you're never going to have a relationship with God. 100%. <laughs> Jesus didn't come yeah. for the perfect. He came for the broken. Because we, we, we've talked about this. It's in scripture. I mean, this is, this is the human condition. We have an inability to, to do anything correctly ever without him. And I see th through the interactions that I continue to have with, with, with friends, family, and people I don't know that I just come across, I continue to see that there has to be this like perfect model of being able to come into the presence of God. And it, it's so backwards. I think that's one of the things that keeps us away from God. Yeah. Is condemnation. Just like we saw it in the garden. Adam and Eve sin. They didn't run to him. <laughs> they hid. Yeah. And they were ashamed. Well, that's the human heart. That's a human condition. We make a mistake. There's a sense of shame. And we don't want to approach him. We don't want to go near him because any number of reasons. We feel unworthy. Mm -hmm. We feel unclean. We feel a sense of condemnation. And, oh, we are unworthy. Mm. That's... That's true. Uh, don't get that mixed up. Yep. He still wants us to be near. Mm. 
his heart is to to have us near him to be with us yeah um so often it's ironic because we do something or we we stray and there we're afraid to come back because we feel he's going to reject us or he's going to scold us it's like no that's what you would do with somebody if they offended you Oof. that's not what god would do with you but we project our our behaviors what we've experienced onto him and that's what's i think that's what's so messed up sometimes is that we we construct this image of god that is inaccurate we make god in our image instead of allowing him to make us into his image like in the original design yeah and then when when we make him in our image then you're like i don't want to i don't want to go near that yeah Interesting. You you said something a, a couple of weeks not on the not on the podcast, but you had said something about how you can be very diligent in the work that you do, oh, and then gosh. one minute you can be like very nonchalant and relaxed, and for some it's like, who is this dude that I'm interacting with? Because he was so organized just a minute ago, and then he's off in like la la land the next second, and that is that's me. Like I, I, as much as much of a type A personality that I am, like, I like to just get things done. Right. And you know, we've talked about this. I'll just like, you, I, I see it and I'm like, all right, let's do it. Um, what's beautiful about what Jesus did on the cross is that we don't have to have this perfect, um, moment to approach him. And in our, in our questioning and in our, our, um, and in our doubt, he uses that to teach us. And I think sometimes it can be scary too when you think about that because, you know, as we talked about condemnation, there's almost a fear, and I think a lot of us probably deal with this, that, well, if we get it wrong in approaching him, that, like, he's he's not going to want to have the relationship with us that, that we desire. And it's backwards. 100% it's backwards. I think it's really hard for me, for us, to understand, to understand just how much he loves us. Oh, 100%. Because our reference points for loving others are not always, God is not, the reference points we all had. Right. You know, sometimes that love is conditional. Um, sometimes that, that love for others is volatile. We've experienced. Sometimes that love is used to control. Sometimes that love is withheld. Um, sometimes that love is, uh, is very passionate. Sometimes it's inconsistent. Some people, you know, we experience all these different expressions of, of love where people love us for a time, then they don't love us and they love us if we do something or, or it feels like they love you. It's like, these are all our reference points. And I think we project those onto God mm. and God's like, I love you. Yeah. And that hasn't changed. And I remember I was listening to, um, 
Paula and I were facilitating this this um, class called Alpha, which was put on by Nikki Gumbel. Oh, I love Nikki Gumbel. And Nikki was talking about uh, he was talking about this moment he had an epiphany about how much God loved him. And he had an epiphany when he had his son. And his son was, I don't know, five, six, I don't remember the age. But he told his son, I love you. And his son was like, why? And Nikki said, I just love you because I love you. Yeah. I, I, I love you because I love you. No reason. Yeah. You're my son. And he said that in that moment, he better understood the heart of God and God's love for us. Mm. God just loves us because he loves us. And that's so hard for us to comprehend because for us, love is often stimulated by other stuff. It's, there's a catalyst for it. Someone does something, and that starts stirring feelings of, of affection and love and acceptance. Or um, someone says something, or there's some action that initiates the process. There was no action that initiated the process. God just loved us. It's not anything we ever did. He or need to do. Or need to do. Yeah. He just... And I think that's so hard for us to understand. Like I can say it, but to really understand it, even now, sometimes it's, it's God, why do you love me the way you do? I think to that point, I think that's why there's, that's why there's religion. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Conditional love. Transactional love. God's love isn't transactional. That brings me to end of Hosea. Let me pull it up real quick, which I love. I mean, if you read if you read Hosea fourteen, the whole entire chapter, it's this really beautiful depiction of our failure and our you know ability to not be able to get it right all the time, and God's sovereignty on our lives. You know, just I'll read. Let me read the like the first half of it, which is. One through uh, one through seven verses one through seven Hosea fourteen. Israel, you fell and sinned against God, so come back to the Lord your God. Think about what you will say and come back to the Lord. Say to Him, take away our sin, and accept these words as our sacrifice. We offer you the praise from our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on war horses. We will never again say our God to do something we made with our hands. This is because you are the one who shows mercy to the orphans. I love that. Shows mercy to the orphans. The Lord says, I will forgive them for leaving me. I will show them my love without limits because I have stopped being angry. I will be like the dew to Israel. Israel will blossom like the lily. He will grow like the cedar trees of Lebanon. His branches will grow and he will be like a beautiful olive tree. He will be like the sweet smell from the cedar trees of Lebanon. The people of Israel will again live under my protection. They will grow like grain. They will bloom like a vine. They will be like the wine of Lebanon. Man, I don't even know what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> Just let it out. That was 
talking of God's blessings and how he loves us. Sometimes when I hear people say, it's all about love, it starts sounding really corny to me. <laughs> Are you talking about like the Beatles? Are you hearing the Beatles no. in your head? <laughs> no, no, just, just in general. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like they don't want, they, they don't unpack everything. It's like, it's just, a, it's true. It doesn't mean it's true, but it's like so overused in such a, a generalized thing. It's like, well, yeah, you just got to love. Very consumer driven. Yeah. in the way that it's said, and I almost feel like we need to do something to recapture the power of saying it's all about love. How do we come to appreciate it for how powerful that truth is? Because I hear it used so much and I hear it said so much. Mm. And it's said kind of with this empty, it's said like an empty promise. It's said, but then there aren't actions that follow. Mm. And that's why it feels corny to me. Sure. Because I'm like, sure you're saying it and sure it's true. But it's a truth that you're not allowing to, to work itself into you in such a way that your behavior has changed. That's why it feels corny to me. I think it's because it's so overused, the word love. Because you can love everything. You can, I, I love coffee. I love to work out. Do I really love those things? It's overused and underdone. Mm. Oof, bro. Yeah. I, and I am a. We say it more than we do it. Mm. I think if we did it more than we said it, then when we said it, it would have more power. So to that end, as you were sharing that scripture in Hosea, for some reason I was thinking about um, 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to read it. Yeah. And it's long. Read it. But I think it it helps to remind me just how powerful that is when we say it's it's all about love. You have to love well. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... I do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. 
But the greatest of these is love. Right now, what I see is a church that's struggling, the global church. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, on the whole, the church is trying to figure out what do we do? How do we remain culturally relevant? How do we stay engaged with culture? <laughs> I think about something I heard recently. Do you remember there was this episode of 30 Rock where uh, Steve Buscemi is one of the characters and he's playing, I think he's playing like an FBI agent who went undercover at a high school. <laughs> As a high school kid. Oh no, I've never seen this. Now I got to go watch it. I have to show you. And he, he has a, a baseball cap on, I think backwards, and he's carrying a skateboard and a backpack. <laughs> and it show, it's a short clip, and he walks in the hall, and he's like, hello, fellow kids. No. <laughs> That's that pastor trying to be relevant. <laughs> or, or just us trying to be relevant. Yeah. And I think the best way I've heard it put is we're sucking on the tailpipe of culture. Mm. And I think every time we do it, it just looks corny. Yeah. We're trying to be relevant. We're trying to engage. <laughs> and we keep looking for ways. I just picture that video going around on the internet of this Christian group. It's this one guy and like two girls and they're singing this song and it sounds like a hip hop beat and they're dancing and pop locking. I... I, I don't even know what it's called. I got to find it. I'll send it to you. But it's the most corny thing, and it makes me so uncomfortable watching it because I feel like Greg and Caroline are trying so hard to be... <laughs> Culturally relevant, right? Culturally relevant. I mean, this is probably in the 80s when this video uh, was recorded, but it's like... I've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. I, I've seen it, and it hurts. It hurts. I feel the pain even thinking about it. Yes, Thank God love that love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> Thank God that I am forgiven of my sins. Uh, yeah. Here's the point I was making, though, is if you want to be culturally relevant, the things that Jesus did will always be culturally relevant. Mm. You want to know what to do? Love is patient. Mm. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This whole chapter, if, if, you, want, if you want a strategy on what we should do as followers of Jesus as the church, read that chapter. You know what's interesting? I think it's very hard to make that transactional. It's very hard to make that transactional. What do you mean? Like patience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, patience isn't transactional. Love um, is not transactional. Kindness is not transactional. It shouldn't be. Um, not boasting, not being proud, not dishonoring others. I like. It's like if, if we do these things... If these are the guiding principles that are shaping our heart, and everything we're doing is is led with these, then good things are going to come out of that. I love, what is it? I think I quoted it last week. Um, Romans 2, 4. 
It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Just be kind to someone. And it's not just being nice. It's kindness that leads to repentance. Like, God is kind and it leads us to repentance. So wouldn't it follow that if if we're kind to others, if we're bearing the image of Christ in our kindness to others, that that would have an effect on them? And again, I go back to the minute particulars that Eugene Peterson talks about. Or not, he, it wasn't even Eugene. He was quoting the poet and artist William Blake. If a man would good do, do good to another, he should do so in the minute particulars. Not in some grandiose expressions. Yeah. You do those little things. People remember them. They feel those. Actually, we had a discussion. Paul and I were talking with somebody this past week. And sometimes, if I'm honest, when there's a big expression of, of acceptance or of kindness, when it's a large expression of kindness, I think sometimes we grow suspicious. Like, what are you yes. making up for? Oh. What did, what did you do? Or is this because you haven't been doing stuff, you've neglected so long that you feel you have to do this big thing? Oh, and does it also mean that you're doing this big thing so you don't have to do any of the small things for a long time? Mm. We've talked about this. I have a hard time with exuberant people. Yeah. I'm I'm a I'm an extrovert. But if you come into the room kicking doors and <laughs> screaming <laughs> yes. happy, joyful sounds, I'm skeptical. I'm gonna be like, you are a fake. Yeah. I don't exactly. trust you. <laughs> if I could throw you, you'd, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, and it's um I think I think the reason well I have that problem because it feels forced and it and it's calling attention to yourself which doesn't feel authentic to me maybe to others I mean I I've known people that needed big personalities around them for them because they're the opposite because they're very quiet and they're shy so they need that um, that balance. So there's not necessarily anything. You're not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with big personalities. No. But from your perspective, there's some red flags that go up. 100%. And I wonder where that comes from. I wonder what trauma as a kid that came from. I mean, do you feel like that? I mean. Oh, of course I do. Yeah, yeah. But I'm an introvert. Oh. That's why I feel like that. I feel like when I see a really big personality or a loud person come into the room, the first thing I think is that person's narcissistic and self-centered. Why do they want so much attention? Boom. <laughs> and that, that may not be what they want. Yeah. yeah. They're just loud and expressive and, and they're looking at me. It's like, yo dude, you need to come out from under that rock and enjoy life a little. <laughs> you know, as you just said this. <laughs> God, okay. I'm going to be vulnerable for just a minute. People have told me, specifically family, that I am loud. I will call attention to myself. So I'm wondering if the reason I don't like exuberant people, because I may be <laughs> exuberant. I don't think I am, but I remember as a kid, just a funny story. I remember... As a kid, I'd be on the phone talking to girlfriends and thinking I'm all suavecito, you know. 
And then the next morning, my, my mom would be like, I could hear every word you were saying on the phone. And I'm like, there's trauma. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's traumatic. Uh, right uh, what exactly did you hear? Um, I wonder, I mean, from your perspective, and you can be honest, mm-hmm. do I come off like loud and kicking down, down doors? And No. Okay. Whew. I thought you were going to say yes for a minute. And I was like, oh my gosh, here's my problem. I do think that you would be comfortable in your skin. I can see you being loud and being comfortable with it. Yeah. But I don't see you being very loud around okay. me or often. And I kind of feel like that's part of your your ability to read the room and your sensitivity to who you're engaging with. Yeah. When you're engaging with me, you're always real calm. Yeah. I mean, we laugh. Sometimes we crack up and we laugh and stuff. And, yeah. Um, but I think that's that's probably you you responding to me and recognizing like, okay, if I'm really loud around Adrian, he's going to freak out. <laughs> be like, Get out. I, I, I don't want to scare this dude away. <laughs> like, I, and I think that that whole introvert extrovert thing, I think the way that it, for me, the way that I understand myself and, and other people that I've known is, you know, you have, it feels like there's a, um, like we have this meter or this device that measures uh, and processes sights, sounds, senses, all this external stimulus. So, you know, sound stuff, right? It's like, yeah. I think for, for introverts, like when you're talking about audio stuff, you know, you have a signal coming in, mm-hmm. the audio signal coming in. And, um, I feel like for introverts, the gain is turned way up. Oh, well, okay. So that gain is turned up. So it's very sensitive. So any sound that comes in may not sound loud to that person making the sound. Sure. But to the the introvert receiving it, it's amplified. So it's like, whoa, why is this cranked up? For a music nerd, this is like changing my world right now. On the other hand, Extroverts, that gain knob is turned way down. Yes. So. I got to lean in. If I want to hear it and I want it to move me, that sound source is going to have to be a lot louder. Yeah. What I'm listening to needs to be a lot louder, a lot bigger, a lot more exciting and expressive because my gain is turned. I've I've got a 20 dB pad on it. Oh, geez. So Mm -hmm. I'm drawn to loud, exciting, exuberant stuff. As an extrovert, I think extroverts are drawn to loud, exuberant, exciting stuff because it takes more to move the needle. You put an introvert in that same situation, that needle's redlining. Yeah. And that's why, that's why, that's why introverts freak out when an extrovert enters the room and like, whoa, what's going on? Hey, oh, it's all great. And we're like, you know, get out. It, it's it's redlining. It's peeking out. We're like, oh Jesus, how do where's the pad? How do how do I bring the? I gotta I gotta get out of here. And there's nothing wrong with either one of them. Yeah, but I think it is it it has been important and powerful for me to understand. Hey, our our uh, instrumentation is just calibrated differently. Yeah, introverts, it's calibrated to be much more sensitive. Yep, to all the stimulus. Extroverts. It's toned way down. Yeah. And I think that's why you have like a lot of uh, extroverts, I think, and I don't know, this this may be an overgeneralization. I mean, 
I'll tell I'm, you. I'm taking this from from all the research I've done, which is absolutely none. <laughs> <laughs> the YouTube video that just I just watched an hour ago. Yeah. But my sense is in, in the friends that I've had that are extroverts, there are certain friends that I've had that were adrenaline junkies mm. because it took more to move the needle for them. It took more sensory input for them to feel anything, for them to feel it. Yeah. Whereas introverts like, and I think the other danger is like for an introvert, something perfectly normal and exciting, there's joy and exuberance and laughter and excitement's going on. But because of the way that it's calibrated, an introvert could perceive that as danger. So it's like, oh my God, it's so loud. What, what's going on? Why is there all that? And something, and it's not even this conscious thing. It's a visceral thing. Like you just feel, like for me, there's some, I realized this several years ago, ever since I was a kid, when I hear the sound of a table saw, my anxiety goes through the roof. Really? And I had an uncle and my dad, they'd do carpentry work and they'd be working with a handsaw or a table saw or something. And something about it, I think it's just the sheer volume and the intensity. Mm -hmm. It it sends up like a lot of red flags and alarms in me. Just nothing's ever happened with it. I've never had an incident with a table saw or anything like that, but it's just that stimulus is so powerful. Yeah. Um, but I think understanding that about myself has been very helpful. It's like, oh, nothing's wrong. Yeah. You still feel that stuff. doesn't mean anything's wrong, but that's the way your instrumentation is calibrated. It's interesting because I'm thinking like where I am on the spectrum of noise. By the way, this is like changing my whole world, on, literally on like people, just putting it in the perspective of audio. But the way you feel about saws, I feel about, I feel like that when people scream, like if my kids are in the backseat yelling their head off, oh my God, <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you, like that's, that's where I like, my first reaction is just like, ugh, like yeah. that, just talking about it, it makes me uncomfortable. But for some reason, and, and I grew up around a loud family, like my mom used to scream at us all the time. It's probably where it's from. Oh, there you go. Trigger. Mother. <laughs> but you did but um but yeah weirdly and me being an extrovert and like i can be in crowds you know all of that like i just love being around people i don't need a high adrenaline rush in order for me to feel something like just going like i'll give you an example this past weekend um i met up with my 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 buddy jack who's also my business partner and and his wife who's pregnant and we just sat at this like pickleball restaurant outdoor area place in Austin. And, uh, that filled me up just being there, hanging with them. Like it, I, we weren't doing anything, but just sitting down, having a conversation and, and eating some food and, and drinking, uh, nothing, nothing extravagant, just sitting down with each other and talking. And that filled me up more than like going and jumping out of a plane. Now don't get me wrong. I would love to jump out of a plane. I haven't done that yet. That's one of the things that I want to do. Um, but weirdly is I don't need that as an extrovert in order for me to feel mm -hmm. 
the edge. Mm-hmm. Just as, I mean, you and I just sitting out in the backyard, like you, you cooking chicken, that does more to me than, than anything, really. So I wonder where I fall on that line. I don't know. I think it's, they're kind of guides. I think, I mean, even introverts, introvert, they're generalizations and they're kind of guides, but I think there's probably variability yeah. in both of those classifications. Sure. Cause there's times where I, like I would, like I enjoy just being at home by myself Yeah. and throwing some music on mm-hmm. and just sitting down, just chilling. Like, don't need anything else. Now, don't get me wrong. I can't do that every day. Like, that's like a half a day type of thing. <laughs> like probably for, you know, I, it's like one of those things like on a Friday night, you don't want to do anything. Just want to hang out, chill. Mm-hmm. I enjoy something like that every once in a while. Let me preface with that. And those moments I'm like, am I an introvert? No, I know I'm not. Cause the next, you know, a few hours later I'm like, well, I'm bored and I want to go hang out with somebody. May just be you're tired that week. <laughs> My biology is like, damn, it was a long week, man. I just want to sit at home and veg out. That's true. Like doing anything, especially you know, as a dad, like you're always on the go. I guess that makes sense. We um, years ago we had a, a professor, a Dr. Richard Grant, who he used to teach. I think he taught at UT. No, I know he taught at UT, but I can't remember what he taught. It was in the psychology department somewhere, I think. And he came and spoke to our church and he talked about, uh, you know, different personality types and tendencies and things like that. And at the time we had a friend who was doing our dissertation on the personality types of the fathers of the Great Awakening, which basically meant this friend was way smarter than us. <laughs> yeah, because I over me. my head right now, bro. I'm like, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yes, but he was. He was one of her advisors, and he was talking to her, and and she arranged for him to come do a workshop for us on a Saturday morning or Saturday, yeah, half a day Saturday, and he was talking to us about the different personality types and tendencies, and how sometimes even as you age, you change. You go through that. this progression of. You may have been one way and then you start changing into others. But he had this interesting theory that perhaps God gave us the gospel in four books to give it to us from the perspective of four different personality types so that there would be something there for everybody to relate to. Wow. So like the first one I zero in on is John. Because John is like loving, tender. Yeah. So you. Just that speak, when I read John, it just speaks to me in a way that the others don't. Yeah. But his assertion was that even in the way the gospels are written, the four different accounts, God was loving us by, by giving us four different ways. Yeah. To make sure that, you know, it would speak to, to different you know, different types. Yeah. I wonder who mine's, mine is. Mm. Paul. <laughs> Homeboy wasn't scared. I don't know. Now now I want to go through the New Testament and read read from that perspective. See who and I read relate to. Read each one of the Gospels and see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see. Like, 
How are they different? If you're thinking, if you had, to, if you read those and you were thinking, you were trying to figure out the personality of the person that wrote that account. Like, what kind of personality sketch would you would you create as you read them? How were they different? Yeah, that's cool to think about. I've never heard anybody put it that way before. That was his assertion. I didn't, I didn't, I remember, I, I do know that John resonates with me more than others. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was inter- interesting. Personality types of the, the fathers of the Great Awakening. I'm like, all right, Yvette. She, she was brilliant and I think she has, she already had her master's and a doctorate and I think she, she taught Jeez. recently at Baylor. God surrounded us with amazing people. Seriously. Well, now I want to meet these people. I just thought about Ross uh, as I was talking to him about something in, in my life. He was giving me some advice and he says, this isn't my personal perspective. This has no <laughs> biblical standard. This isn't biblical. This is just I'm giving you my perspective and advice as a friend. Blah, 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 blah. And I learned from that moment and in the conversation now, there's no biblical standard to these four personality types through the scripture, but, but there's something that resonates. I mean, there's, there are books and, and uh, writers that I relate to and I totally get it because it, you know, makes total sense. I think that's why I like Ray Lubeck so much because of the way that he explains reading scripture. And so, um, yeah, this is, this is a new perspective that I, that I actually appreciate. I figured the gain would help because you make sound, you know what, you know what the gain knob does. Yeah. You know what the pad button does. Yeah. You have an audio signal coming into a channel for those that don't know in audio um, production, you know, you have a, let's say you have an amplifier or a microphone and you have an audio signal coming into some kind of soundboard or something. Well, that audio signal may be loud or it may be soft. So on the mixing board, there's this little knob. It's called a gain knob. And what it does is it it allows you to boost that signal that's coming in. So if the signal coming in is soft, you need to boost it up. Well, you turn that gain knob and it amplifies it. It makes it louder. Um but then there's times where the signal coming in is way too loud. So there's this thing called a pad. I think the most common one is this 20 decibel pad. So you'll see a little negative 20. And what it does is it reduces the volume by 20 decibels. So it helps you regulate. So when you have sounds coming in, if they're too loud, you use a pad. If they're too soft, you use a gain. Yeah, I kind of think in terms of how we process the stimulus around us, movement, sound, smells, activity. Like for introverts that gains cranked up. That's cool. That's cool to think about. Cause I think about sometimes where I've had conversations with introverts and they're like, 
<laughs> you need to you're coming you, need too, to, you need to dial it down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you're coming too you're coming too hot, bro. Like back <laughs> it up. Like, what are you doing right now? And uh and then I and then I in the moment I thought I must be a weird dude because for them to be like Y'all can't see me right now, but I'm like putting my hand up, like, you know, trying to stop traffic. Oh, yeah. Um, and I've had to pull back and I'm like, oh, shoot. I do. Um, now this, this, uh, this adds some, some light and texture and color to those moments. I think the, the reasoning behind it, the reason talking about it is for me, when I think about it, not only does it help me understand me better, but it, it helps me understand others better. Yeah. And it helps me to connect with them. If I understand something about the way that and it's always a guess. I mean, we 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 guess. We you kind of observe some behaviors and you try to um you make an educated guess about how to interact. And you you try to do it well. And yet again, this is why I need Jesus cuz I'll screw that up. Goodness, dude. Like yes. The prayer me and Paula pray all the time. Jesus, let me see others as you see them, so I'll be moved the way you're moved. I'll be compelled to love the way that you love them. I love that. I think it's a prayer that everybody should be praying. Well, that, that's how I want others to look at me. I want others to see me the way Jesus sees me, and I want to see others the way Jesus sees them. Yeah, that's good. Because I think that's life-giving. It is. In those times in my life when, when um, there have been a, some people that I've been around, when I'm around them, I just feel Jesus. I'm around them and I just, dude, I just, I just feel Jesus. And when I'm around them, that I feel safe. I feel yeah. seen. I feel loved. I feel encouraged. I feel challenged. I feel support. I feel all those things at the same time. Yeah. Because there's certain people that certain times they just, they're bearing his image really well. That's what I want to be like. That's what I... But that, to build confidence right now, you have been that for me. That's the that's the goal. That's what I want to be. Oh, man, I appreciate that. Well, that's I, truthful. I was thinking about, I don't know if to, to share this or not. I, I think I should. The the message you sent me. Uh, the workout one? The workout message. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what did I say? Yeah, go for it. Build, build some context. <laughs> 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 um yeah so where where do i how do i even set this up okay i'll set it up i'm not in good shape and i haven't been in good shape for like a long time i've been i've been in this round shape for quite a while now we haven't worked out in a long time Let's we have just, not you know, to say that how can you tell <laughs> so and and this is this is just acknowledgement and assessment of the situation as it is, right? Okay, so that's that's the backdrop. So I'm, I'm looking at my phone yesterday. I think it was yesterday you sent it, right? Or this morning? I, I think so, yes. Or yesterday, this yeah. yeah, you sent it. So often when people are not in great shape, they can be pretty touchy about anyone mentioning about anything about that shape, said shape. So I thought it was hilarious. And... Man, it was also like such a profound blessing. You sent a message and it was like a, was it an Instagram story? Yeah, something like that. It was yeah. like a little Instagram clip or something. Yeah. And it was, it was a dude that's got like, I don't know, 
7% body fat running on a treadmill. Dude's completely ripped. Easily. And he's running. Yep. And it's a voiceover of Jocko Willink. And they're saying, like, are you are you getting older? And what are you doing? Are you working out? Are, you know, are you neglecting this? You need to work out because if you it's it's a use it or lose it mentality. And basically it's this motivational thing to like, hey man, you gotta get up and do something or you just things are gonna get bad. Yeah. So you don't normally send me messages like this. So, <laughs> so I see this message kind of came out of the blue and I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, this is different. Alex, though, he's been encouraging, but he's always kind of had like a gentle touch when he's been encouraging me as far as working out. I'm like, man, this is pretty direct. This was some David Goggins, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. This yeah, was some type like of, in your face stuff. Yeah. Here's the beauty and the wonder. And I shared it with Paula. I saw the message come in and I'm watching it. And the whole time I'm like, man, I love Alex. He wants the very best for me. He's thinking about me. He wants to, he, he wants, he wants me to become the very best I can be. He wants all the best for me. He just, he's trying to encourage me. And that's all I heard. There was absolutely not one thread of defensiveness when I saw that message. I assumed the absolute best. I assumed that you wanted the very best for me when I saw that. And my heart was actually happy when I got that message. No guilt, no defensiveness, none. I I literally, it's like, there was a, a huge smile on my face as soon as I saw like, oh man, this is so great. Alex just wants the best for me. If anybody else had sent me that message, <laughs> that would not have been my response. Yeah. If anybody else had sent me that message, it would have been like, what the actual, <laughs> yeah. like really? What, what are you trying to say right now? But... Because we have this relationship, because we've been walking together, because I know you love and care about me, because you value me, because you've seen me, when you say things, I assume the best. I give you the benefit of the doubt and assume that everything you're saying is for my good. And what hit me is what we talked about earlier. I want every one of my relationships to be like that. Yeah. That's so good. Because not all of my relationships are like that. Sometimes when people say things, because the relationship isn't as mature or developed or healthy or consistent, they say something and there's suspicion. Mm. They say something and there's doubt. They say something, there's defensiveness. But I want every one of my relationships to be like Whenever they say something, whether it's incredibly positive or incredibly real and challenging, mm. I want to have relationships such that I always, my first thought is, man, he really wants the best for me. She really wants the best for me. So what I felt from that, and I shared that with Paula immediately, it's like, man, this to me is incredible that I feel this, like that my first thought was, wow, he really wants the best. And I thought, okay, 
And then I felt Jesus smacking me saying, all right, <laughs> now you need to get to work and get, get all your relationships to that point mm. where when they say something, whether it's challenging or incredibly encouraging, mm. you immediately assume the best from them. You assume that they have a heart that wants the best for you. Yo, and I was, and, I and that wasn't even why you said no, it. this that, is the, yeah, I said, I, it was like the, it was a motivational speech and like the, the topic was, if you lose it, you, if you, if you don't use it, you lose it. And yeah. I was, and I didn't actually, I didn't even write anything to Adrian. I just kind of sent this thing and I was like, oh, he'll know my heart in this moment. He'll understand what I'm trying to communicate through the message, not the video. And it was about, you know, if, if you're not, what I was thinking is if you're not going to invest in relationship, then you're just going to lose and be alone. And, uh, and there's a, there's a lot of blessing in that. And so that was the original thought from the message, but without even building context, I just said to it. And, are you sure? Uh, yeah. Cause you, you realize that the first line in that message was, are you an aging male? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I heard it Gosh. and I'm like, well, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was my David Goggins moment. Get up, mother. <laughs> Got to talk to your inner. Okay, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. I love what you just said, though, because it, there's, we were talking about this outside and, uh, before jumping and doing, doing the, uh, this episode. Um, you know, what, what came to mind is, as you talked about a fence, I think about that other clip that I sent you on oil and water. Oh. Gosh, that was so good. So, yeah, dude. That was, that offense limits how much room you have for the blessing and anointing. Oh, man. As long as there's offense taking space in your heart, well, all of that space that the offense is taking is space that anointing can't take oh. and occupy. What hit me hard in that in that clip, and, and I wish I could like share it right now with all of you and oh, like man. send it to everybody as we're talking about this, but one of the things I loved about it is when he, you know, this pastor's talking about, you know, uh, Adrian just said the amount of offense that we carry can limit the amount of uh, blessing that we kind of impart on other people. And what got me was when he said that little bit of oil that's sitting on the top of the water is a little the, bit of anointing. Yeah. the little bit of anointing makes it look like you've got a lot of anointing oh. or it makes you seem like you're this perfect Christian or you've got it, you all, got it together. all together. Yeah. Oh man, dude. And I just, I was floored with that because it's so true. There's, it just reminds me of the theatrics of acting. Yeah. Like we've got it, we've got it set and it's such a lie. Cause the minute that you pour out that oil, what's left is your offense. Yeah. In the illustration, this, this pastor was speaking, the speaker was, he had a, a glass that was filled with two types of liquid. And one of one of the liquids filled up. I don't know if it was it was water and oil, I think. Yep. But one sunk to the bottom, one sunk to the top. Well, it was about three quarters of the way full with I think water. Mm -hmm. And then um whichever one's heavier, I don't remember. Let's just say the oil. Then he pours like twenty five percent oil on top. And he was saying, Well, that seventy five percent at the bottom, that's that's what you're holding on to in offense. Yeah. And that twenty five percent on the top that's the anointing. And when people look at the surface, they're like, oh, they see anointing. But then he tipped it over and he pours out that. He goes, but you know what? You, you, you remove that 25% anointing, you got 75% offense. That's what's underneath. 
all of that. And the other thing is, how much anointing are we missing out? You know, so allowing much. our heart to be occupied, all that real estate in our heart and mind and thoughts to be occupied by offense when they could be occupied by anointing and blessing. That was such, you sent it, I just had to sit there and watch. I watched it once and then I just, I had to let it sink in. Yeah. And immediately conviction came. It's like, all right, who's offended you? Mm. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to that they're not even aware of? <laughs> it's interesting you went there because I went to theatrics and you went to the deeper meaning of the message, which I love. Mm. Because what I don't want to do is I don't want to play a part and act like I look like a good Christian or I look like I you know, have this good relationship with God when I struggle like everybody else does. We talked about that a while back, that from a distance, when you're not in close relationship with people, um, people can't see your character. No, they can't. Now, from a distance, people can see your gifting, but up close they see your character. Whoa, dude. That's good. So a lot of times we, we see someone from a distance like, oh my God, that person is so gifted. Look how well they sing. Look how well they preach. Look how well they look. Look how well they teach. And you see the gifting from a distance. Mm -hmm. You get up close. You see the character. And that's why we all need to have people up close to us. Yeah. So we're not just about our gifting. Yeah. Like we need someone there to check. And that's why you, I, I love that we, we get to talk because we look at each other and, and you'll gut check me. You're like, how's that, uh, how's that thing we talked about? <laughs> Could it, could it be this that you're dealing with? You haven't dealt with this or have you prayed for that person? Because you see something in my eyes. You're close enough to see the character. You're close enough to see the ugly. <laughs> you're, you're not at a distance just seeing the gifting. You're like, yes. you're up close. And that's a, that's a, why we need people up close because we need, we need our character to be, you know, refined. I think that's why it's so important for people to to understand that, you know, social media is not the real thing. You're not even seeing the real gifting either. Well, you talk about a distance. Now you're at a distance and you're what you're seeing from a distance is a facade. Darren said this one time. It's like um I can't remember how he put it, but he said we we focus more on personas than the person. We create a, we construct a persona for the world to see, but the real person that we are is different. Yeah. You talked about this before we started this podcast was making sure that we didn't get to a place where, um, we lacked relationship because of whatever this turned into. And that's why we talked for like three hours before we yeah, hit record. For sure. Right. And we'll always do that. Like that's. That's why two, three weeks ago. We didn't record. We didn't even record. Yeah. I mean, that needs to, what we record needs to be the overflow and needs to be the icing and just a glimpse. Yeah. If it ever changes and becomes like, oh, we're fabricating this thing. We're producing content. Content is king. No, it's not. King of this world. Yeah. 
Oof. Breach. How come nobody ever says character is king? Oh, dude, that's a whole topic right there that we can get into. Like, well, yeah. But that requires that you. That, yeah, that requires you to deal with your ugly truth. That's hard. Oh, so good. Well, we're already hitting time. How long we've we been going? Like six hours? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, actually, technically, <laughs> technically. Eight, almost eight thirty, and we started at like three o'clock. Oh <laughs> so five and a half hours. Oh my gosh! So good. Thank you, Paula. <laughs> thank you, sweetie. You're not here, but thank you. Um, man, love you, bro. Love you too. I'm thankful for this, and uh, yeah. Until next time. What's something we can challenge folks oh, to do? Yeah. Good call. I, I've had this on my heart for the past, well, starting last week when I did the recording for the last episode. I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are just trying to figure out what to do next. I feel like really heavy on my heart right now too. And I feel like God is calling his people back to him. You know, I've had conversations with people in the past uh couple of weeks on this and I think being being honest with God and and sitting and and just spending time with him in prayer um and lifting up their doubt and just understanding that there's no condemnation in that there's a lot of freedom because I said it on the last episode and we've talked about this multiple times throughout this this podcast is he can handle our truth he can handle our 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 doubt and our pain. We just got to be willing to say yes and give it up to him. That surrender is needed. And so I want to encourage people today to to put their phone down. You know, we're going through as a church the 40 days of prayer and mm-hmm. you know, Lent. And when you hear Lent, you think of the Catholic, you know, religion. Um, but I want I want people to put their phones down and just spend couple of minutes start with a couple of minutes and just lift up your doubt to Jesus and let him do his work in you doesn't require anything other than just sitting and talking to him having a relationship with him and a real a real conversation an honest conversation yes okay I've got a simple one too I saw you smirk I know you have something simple if you attend a church, thank your pastor. Oh, I love that. Just walk up to him and just say thank you and then walk away. Don't unpack. There'll be time for that later. But create a moment where you go. You don't need anything. You don't ask for prayer. You don't ask for a problem to be solved. You don't gripe and complain about stuff that you want changed or offer suggestions. Something go up to a pastor, say, thank you, I appreciate you, and then walk away. Now be ready. It might freak them out. Because <laughs> I, I don't think pastors get that enough. Oh, yeah, 100%. I don't think they get a, um appreciation and a thank you often enough where it 
it doesn't carry with it an expectation of, I need you to help me with something. Just stay selfless. Just thank you. Just thank your pastor this week. And if you don't have one, go find one. Amen. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, you, Darren. We love you, bro. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Ross. We love you. Thank you, Brent. Yeah. Thank you, David. Yes. Thank you, Zach. So good. I love that. Prayer and thanksgiving. There you go. Awesome, guys. Well, till next week. Ciao. Later.